All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Time to rewind. It's the Chris and Amy Rewind Recap. It's always a free-for-all the first hour on a Friday with Hancock and Kelly on this Chris and Amy show. Um, what do we talk about today besides, uh, did we talk about anything of substance? We did yeah. talk about the, the jobs numbers, over 350,000 jobs added last month, which is um, better than what was anticipated. And uh, the inflation holding steady at 3.7%. However, Americans, generally speaking, still think the economy is in a downturn, even though that number is shrinking. It Mm -hmm. is still uh, a little too high right now at 48 percent. And it goes back to, Amy, the the, the reality that prices for a lot of things are high. Yeah. I think we also have to get used to the reality that that's never going back. No. Once once a company realizes, hey, people will still buy this item at a higher price, Why? what would incentivize them to lower it if we're still buying everything? And I know some items, some things with supply, demand, and whatever they have is more expensive. Sure. Okay, fine. But there are other companies like Starbucks, which openly said at the beginning of last year, hey, we'd like to increase our profits, so we're going to raise prices. And it worked because they sell addictive stimulants in coffee and espresso. I do it. I didn't stop buying my coffee. Once people have a habit, especially for something like that, it's very hard to break their habit. You can raise the price until it's, I mean, it's already kind of an offensively expensive. We still buy it. But eggs and whatever, those prices are going to stay high. Shrinkflation, where you may keep the price the same, yep. but you lower the volume of, of what chips you're getting. or cereal yeah. in a box or a bag. That's going to stay the same because it's higher profits. Once they figure out that you'll pay it, that's that's all there is to it. And I I use this um, example a lot, but I think it's a I think it's analogous when it comes to tickets for sporting events. Mm-hmm. And a complaint, a rightful complaint that you hear from a lot of people is it is just too expensive. It's too expensive to take a family of four to a baseball game unless you go very certain specific times, specific nights. Um, where they do have deals, but a, a a typical game costs way too much, whether it's hockey, mm-hmm. football, baseball. But here's why it happens, because the tickets are being sold. And yeah. once teams realize, oh, they're going to pay this, well, I'm going to keep charging it. That's why you go to a ball game and a beer is 15 bucks, because they realized people are not going to stop buying beer at the ball game, yeah. even if it's $15. It's never going back. Not the point of your conversation, but I will come a little bit to the defense of baseball games. I think of all the sports, it's the most affordable if you buy cheap seats and they let you bring in food, which is super helpful. But I, it is still expensive for four people to go unless you go specific times. And and you and there are opportunities for cheaper seats, right? You go to the the ticket office at whatever time on a certain day. But man oh man, a hockey game I don't know how anyone goes to a hockey game. Either you sit in the very, very top level or you go on company tickets. Mm-hmm. Lower bowls, 
$150 a ticket or whatever it may be for the St. Louis Blues who are struggling this year. Man, that's a lot. So the reality is you want prices to come down, then people need to stop buying the goods. That's not going to happen. We're not going to stop buying eggs. No. We're not going to stop buying coffee. You could stop buying at the volume that they're being purchased, and then maybe they come back down to earth a little bit. But that's the only way things will go back to normal. This this probably is the new normal. You might see a little bit of a, of a snapback, just a little bit. But for the most part, things are expensive now. They will continue to be expensive for probably ever. Um, we did uh, we did that. We talked to Scott Jagow about roaming St. Louis and three good things. He went to a great be- breakfast spot called Milk Toast, which is moving to a new place on on Jefferson. And uh, he also talked about his he wanted to do a bit on age or a mm-hmm. story on age for three good things this weekend, which airs Sunday mornings. And uh, talking about his good friend turning 90. There's, oh. It's a funny story. He hates Louis Armstrong because of this th- this story <laughs> like from like the 50s. Personally? Yes, yes. <laughs> we always joke with him. So we're always like, you know, ribbing him about this. He had some run-in with him in the 50s or something. <laughs> and so, incredible. Yeah, no, I know. What a weird thing. It is a weird happens. thing. But the jazz band, of course, we were like, okay. And he said, all right, I'll go up on stage. So we got him to go up on stage and sing What a Wonderful Get World. It lost. was. I've got audio. So you'll have to be listening on Sunday morning to catch that really good story. And he's going to talk about his grandmother turning 100. And um, I love three good things. And Roaming St. Louis happens Sunday mm-hmm. morning on KMOX. Also, we spoke to Mike Claiborne as the Cardinals are close to signing Keenan Middleton. Pretty good reliever. Anything is better than what we had last year out of the bullpen. This this young man comes with experience. Uh, you know, he, he has a record, and I think it's something we ought to pay attention to. And, you know, we're going through a phase now where we're signing guys that aren't necessarily household names, but that doesn't mean they can't contribute. And I think if you look enough, look around enough, you'll see some guys who have just enough big league experience that they might be at a point where they're turning the corner with regard to their career. So this might be one of them. So at this point, I said earlier to somebody, I'm still kind of scratching my head on what we look like from a roster standpoint. There are jobs available on this team, especially in the bullpen. So we'll just see who can pitch pitch the best coming out of spring training and be on the roster on opening day. So we are very, very close to spring training. Mm -hmm. Amy, pitchers and catchers will report to Jupiter, Florida on February 13th. It is a week from this upcoming Tuesday. Their first on-field workout will be the 14th, Valentine's Day. The full squad gets out there on Monday, February 19th. And... um, then, then that's it, man. It is, it's, it's go time. It is spring training time. Off to the races, as they say. That's right, man. We are very, very close. You know, I've never been to spring training. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Did you go as a kid or only as an adult? As an adult, yeah, only. Yeah, um, I, I've been to Jupiter Cardinal spring training one time, mm-hmm. right as the pandemic was hitting. Oh, that's right. So, I remember you were down there. Yeah, so it was February, and we knew there was a thing happening, yeah. and. There was hand sanitizer everywhere because we didn't know exactly what was going to go down. Right. Um, that was a wild time. And um, I did because Claves had heard about this runner as well. 
He is the Barnwell Middle School Band Director. I think that's in the Francis Howell School District. Jared Broadbooks. He is running the Olympic Trials Marathon, the Olympic Marathon Trials tomorrow morning uh, in Orlando. He ran his debut marathon, his first marathon in December. He ran two hours, 14 minutes and 59 seconds. That's about a five minute, 10 second pace. I know he was throwing down some sub fives, but a local teacher, band director in the Francis Health School District going to the Olympic Trials. Pretty exciting. Cool. Olympics this year. Well, we're going to actually talk to Jay Gow about the Olympics because he's got a lot of Olympic experience. Yeah. Um, so Me, when we get a, closer to it, as a reporter, yeah, he, he wasn't a participant, <laughs> but as a reporter, he was there. Yeah. 96, the Atlanta uh, Olympics, mm-hmm. which was, he's got a story about that. So we're going to talk to him about that as we get closer to Paris. the Summer Games in Paris, in Paris this year. Have you been to the Olympics? No, I was living in Chicago when they were bidding for it, mm-hmm. and they lost to they lost out to Rio. Aren't they glad they lost though? Everyone yeah, it's, says it's, 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 it's not a disaster good. economically. Yeah. It's not really good. Uh, I know Wheels went to Australia for the Sydney Olympics and covered some events there, but Kevin Wheeler. But um, yeah, I've been to. I went to the World Cup when it was in Chicago. Oh, yeah, in '94. Oh, think. that was a long time. A That's long right. time ago. That is right. Yeah. Uh, that's Amy Marks Cores. I'm Chris Ranji. I love Michael Bublé. Do you love Michael Bublé? Oh, he's got a voice like butter. Well, he was having a time at the All-Star <laughs> game yesterday. You're going to hear about this when we come back on KMOX. All-Star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Amy, I didn't even know that uh, the NHL All-Star Games <laughs> week was All-Star here. Week. I didn't even NHL know NHL All-Star it. Weekend, oh, baby. Oh, man. That's, <clears throat> that is a gigantic failure on my part. Just a huge failure. Well, you know, it's because you don't uh, care about hockey, Ron. It's not. I, I yeah, do care no, about Yeah, no, you hockey. don't. I care. And it's obvious. You don't even know anything about hockey. Michael Buble is Canadian. He is Canadian, yeah. and he is a huge hockey fan. So uh, he's there at the NHL All-Star Game festivities. Which is in Scotiabank Arena, which is Montreal. Uh, I think it's Montreal. Is it Montreal? Montreal? I thought it was Calgary. Is it Calgary? Oh, that makes it hard. Is it Toronto? I think it's Toronto. It's Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it's Toronto. We're just naming every Canadian city we can think of. It doesn't matter. Moose Moose Jaw. Jaw. <laughs> <laughs> They all have Tim Hortons up there, and yeah, I'm jealous. It's Toronto. Um, so he he does a press conference yesterday. And with Will he, Arnett? With Will, Nar- Will Arnett, yep. uh, the actor, and who's on the uh, Smartless podcast. Very successful podcast, by the way. So he's answering questions, and he must have participated in a game. And, well, just you got to listen okay. to Buble. He was having a... Just having the best time, apparently, and he had a little assistance. Uh, Matt, I'm in more than one hockey league. That's cool. So, uh, in the LHL, which I'm in with you, I happen to be in fifth place. Uh, even though I had no first 
overall pick, first pick even. I didn't even have a first rounder. Um, and I still did what I had to do because of my genius. Second, I am first place in the FHL, other hockey, fantasy hockey league. Third, my buddy told me this is just a microdose of mushrooms, and he was lying. So, I'll be honest, I thought I was in blades of glory for most of the time that I was out there, until it sort of settled down, and then I realized, holy I am at the NHL All-Star Game. You know, it just occurs to me that all, uh, through all the incredible songs and, that you've done over the years, yeah. and all the, the hearts of women that you've won over around the world, with all that talk about fantasy hockey, you lost them all in one sentence. <laughs> it all just evaporated. You years of building it up and just yeah. and it just gone. Yeah. The mushroom talk lost me all of my contracts. Well, the mushroom too. talk. Okay, so uh, Michael He's, Buble was high on mushrooms, uh, yeah. giving uh, at the All Star. Uh, was he game still stuff. high on that press conference, or you is could, that just could how you he not talked? tell? No, I could tell, but he was talking in the past tense. He's all. If- He's always. He's a funny person. Right, and he's, he's quirky. He, he, yeah, he's quirky. And that's why I thought he was high on mushrooms while he was talking, but at the same time he was referring back to it. No. Okay. He's He was having a night. He, because if, if you heard the rest of the yeah. press conference, he was like... There well, were there were all, yeah there were all yeah. kinds of cues that he might have been a little I, out there. What's funny is what Will Arnett said... Uh, is true, and you've got to be thinking that Will is thinking, oh my gosh, Michael Buble is like Mr. <laughs> Family Man, and now it's over. And Will Arnett is probably glad that it he wasn't, you know, switching shoes with Michael Buble in that situation. He it, wouldn't want to switch places with him. Oh, I, I think it'll end up being fine in his favor. It's I'm just, sure it'll be fine. Because he did, he clearly sounded impaired. Yes, no, I had I couldn't even follow what he was talking about. <laughs> he was with talking his about different his fantasy hockey, hockey teams. I know, but it was so incoherent. Um, so was that press conference immediately after the game? Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's 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 awesome. It's it's really really awesome. Yeah. Anyway, he's a he's a jovial person and was was aided uh, last night. Hey, um, with the Super Yikes. Bowl coming up, mm-hmm. do you like prop bets, Amy? Do you know what a prop bet is? Nope. Okay. So let me try to explain this really quick. Okay. Uh, you know when you when you do place a bet, you can bet on who wins, yeah. who how many touchdowns get scored, who scores first, that kind of stuff, right? Um, that's called a prop bet. But then there are these goofy prop bets. Mm-hmm. Things like what color is the Gatorade going to be at the end of the game? Okay. You yeah, can bet yeah. on yellow, green, blue, whatever. And those are the fun, silly prop bets. Do you realize that there is a whole slate of Taylor Swift bets for the Super Bowl? So I, I figured there would be, uh, you know, with how many times they, I don't know if they could bet on how many times they show her, but even rather, whether or not she would be there. Well, it's it's not just stuff like that. It is, uh, you can bet on Taylor Swift, Grammys, mm-hmm. and Super Bowl bets of different kinds. Let me give you an example. Okay. You can bet on the primary color of her Grammy's dress. Okay. The favorite is black. A go-to. Red comes in second, and then kind of a distant third is white. And then it goes blue, green, yellow, and purple. Purple is like really, um, if she hits on purple, if you bet purple and she wears purple, you can make a lot of money. 
Also, you can bet on whether or not Taylor Swift wins a Grammy, wins Grammy Album of the Year and Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown. Oh. So if you don't believe both of those things will happen, mm-hmm. it's um, it'll cost you a lot of money to bet it to win 100 bucks. So you have to bet 180 to win 100. Right. Um, let's see. Travis Kelsey, will he catch? <laughs> this one's my favorite. Will Kelsey mm-hmm. catch more than Swift Grammy nominations? No, oh, that's a good one. So the oh, it's the over under is six and a half. That's a pretty good one. Will, you know, that just re- go ahead. No, a, a Grammy song of the year for Taylor Swift and Kelsey to score a touchdown. The answer is uh, the favorite is no. Really, it's a heavy favorite. No, that that won't happen. But if it does happen, it's plus three hundred, which is good money. Oh, I would bet that. I'd so take you put a hundred and you, yeah. you win three hundred. I would bet that. Do you know? Everyone keeps talking about whether or not she can make it from her Tokyo concert to the Super Bowl. And the thing is, she can. She absolutely can. If she yep. leaves that late that night, she could be there 7 a.m. The problem is parking. Parking your private jet. All of the parking spots, are I'm not taken. even joking, are taken because it's the Super Bowl. They said they had the same issue when they when Vegas hosted Formula One. So she's. I'm sure she will somehow find a parking spot. If not... Vegas will probably just kick someone out of their spot and say, "We sorry, it's Taylor Swift. But apparently parking is a huge issue for private planes. Also, with that show that she's performing at, will Taylor Swift mention the Chiefs or Kelsey at her Tokyo show? No. Well, no is, the, no. no is the favorite. Yeah. No is the favorite. Because they're in Tokyo. Nobody cares. Uh, yeah, great point. That's a really great point. Uh, that's Amy Marks Cores. I'm Chris Ronji. Going to talk a little Supreme Court and what's happening in Texas with Governor Greg Abbott. That is next on KMOX. It's the Chris and Amy show on KMOX. We still have tickets to give away for Train and REO Speedwagon. They're coming to Hollywood Casino Amphitheater this summer. Final final pair of tickets. We'll do that uh, before the show is over today. Time to go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. And this afternoon, we visit with the Chair of Leadership Studies and Professor of Political Science at Williams College. It is Justin Crow visiting with us here on KMOX. Justin, we appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. The reason we wanted to talk to you is because of what is happening at the southern border and the uh, temporary Supreme Court ruling that uh, does not allow basically the state of Texas to put up the razor wire. And there's also some dispute about uh, federal authorities using, uh, you know, staging areas at at part of the um, part of the southern border. And Greg Abbott, the governor's attempt to try and, and really go around the federal government and defy them and define what the Supreme Court has ruled here, at least uh, for now. What is your take on the entire situation where you've got this and then you have all of these governors from various states signing on in support of Texas and against what the Supreme Court has ruled? Yeah, it's quite a remarkable series of, of occurrences down there at the southern border in, in Eagle Pass, Texas, where a lot of this is going on. And I mean, I think one, there's been a lot of confusion about what's going on, and, and in part because um, both actors on the left and actors on the right have responded very strongly to what 
uh, is going on, Abbott, Biden, the Supreme Court, there's, I think, a bit of confusion. So, um, you know, right now, what's effectively happened is that the Texas had put up um, wire to um, deter migrants from coming across the, the Rio Grande River. And there was an injunction that prevented the federal government, prevented uh, Border Patrol from cutting down that wire. And all the Supreme Court did was effectively remove that injunction, which would allow the federal government to go in and cut down that wire. So there was really nothing in the order that Abbott could defy right now because it didn't require Abbott to do anything. So we've got the the legal technicalities of what's going on, which is simply that the Supreme Court has removed the injunction against the federal government cutting down the wire. And then we've got the politics of what's going on, which is Abbott and other Republican governors, as you noted, supporting him in suggesting that um, even if they're forced to do something, he might not do it. Even if the Supreme Court suggests that this has to happen, they might go another way. Asserting a, a, a radical idea that the state can determine whether it is under invasion in and of itself and take measures against the federal government uh, to defend itself against that invasion. And that idea harkens back to the Civil War and times before that in in which um, actors articulated the notion that the federal government, the nation as a whole, was a compact, something as compact theory, that the nation was a compact that individual states entered into and didn't surrender their sovereignty. So while Abbott hasn't technically defied the federal government in doing anything right now. He's certainly um, trolling it, tempting it, teasing it, however we want to think about what's going on, um, and moving in the direction and using the arguments that have been used at past points in American history where actors did defy the federal government. Yeah. I mean, and it does seem that court so often is about technicalities, and this Supreme Court order, it was unexplained. There's no decision. There are no paragraphs written. And like you said, it wasn't an order to do something. It was simply uh, vacating that lower court injunction that said the federal court or the federal government um, could not take down the wire. So Greg Abbott is kind of rightly saying, hey, there's nothing in here that directly affects me. And I know one reason why, like you said, he's he's acting on that technicality is he feels the federal government is failing in its fundamental duty to protect the border. And so if if a governor, if a state feels that way, because like with the wire, that's a U.S. border. Of course, the federal government can do what it wants at the U.S. border in that sense. That's a, a border that the federal government would control versus just a single state. But does Greg Abbott have a point that here we have people living in Texas and it's out of control at the border, whether you're on the left or on the right, we have a humanitarian crisis and there are American citizens being failed by the lack of immigration policy? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an example on a policy issue that, as you note, is controlled by the federal government, right? Immigration policy is set by the federal government. There's really no legal dispute about that. But what we've seen in recent years, Texas here, Arizona a number of years ago, um, is, is the reality that the problems at the southern border affect a small number of states. Um, and those states have generally, Arizona is a, is a bit of a swing state now, obviously, and has a Democratic governor, but those, many of those states have um, more conservative politics and, and uh, a, a 
bigger group of Republican elected officials. And when the federal government, whether it was during the Obama administration or now during the Biden administration, is controlled by Democrats, there's both a policy conflict about how to deal with this, and there's a political incentive to draw attention to that conflict, that Abbott arguably has the support of a lot of Texans in trying to take a tougher stand against uh, border crossings than the Biden administration does. So he has not only kind of political support in his own state, but also a political incentive to kind of um, argue against the issue, to demagogue, to toy with the idea of defiance. Whether Abbott would actually go so far as to defy a Supreme Court ruling remains to be seen. But the politics of it are pretty clear for him right now that he's going to continue to push this as far as he can go because it burnishes his conservative credentials in Texas and nationwide for a potential presidential run someday. And it draws attention to an issue that right now is not a good issue for the Democratic Party and is not a good issue for President Biden. The um, the idea that this could be a constitutional crisis, a lot of people have argued that it is. If it is, just how so? I mean, I think the constitution. I think the constitutional crisis language is is a bit premature at this point. I mean, if the Supreme Court were to order Texas to do X, Y, and Z, or to stop doing X, Y, and Z, and as you noted, the Supreme Court decision. Um, was, as is not uncommon in these sorts of instances, uh, unsigned. There was no reasoning given, no conditions provided, no elaboration of what uh, of what should or shouldn't happen. But if the Supreme Court were to direct Abbott to do something or forbid Abbott and, and Texas from doing something, and Abbott were to defy that, then we're headed into the, the situation of a constitutional crisis where an actor has outright defied the federal government, which is for all intents and purposes um, supreme. And then we'd have a situation not unlike the one we had in uh, in the 1950s with the integration of schools and, and Arkansas refusing to integrate uh, Central High School in Little Rock and President Eisenhower having to, to send in the National Guard to help integrate the schools. We're not quite there yet, and it's, and it's not totally clear if we're going to get there or not. Um, but the, the circumstance of a constitutional crisis, a term with lots, and, uh, lots of varied definitions, is basically where there is no, no clear solution and where you have actors acting with disregard for the Constitution and an unwillingness to settle things peacefully. Um, and if we, if we get to that point where there is either outright defiance of a governor uh, by a governor of the Supreme Court or imagine in a, in a future scenario some sort of actual violent conflict between, say, state authority and national authority or uh, national authority that is uh, if Biden were to federalize the Texas National Guard and the Texas National Guard will ref- would refuse to follow Biden's orders and instead follow Abbott's, then you've got these questions of, of loyalty, of sovereignty, of supremacy um, that have no clear answer that can be settled by law if the actors involved aren't willing to listen to those judgments. How does Governor Abbott's potential lack of cooperation with federal authorities, how is that similar to perhaps the opposite end of the spectrum with sanctuary cities? Yeah, so some people have raised this, right, that there is um, a kind of um, analogy here or a likeness in the ways in which states can act in ways that are uncooperative. Some scholars have termed this, termed this uncooperative federalism, that states and localities can do things to basically 
drag their feet, that even though they can't, and here's where the distinction comes a little bit with Abbott, even though they, they can't and won't defy the federal government outright, they will not assist in things that the federal government wants to do uh, that they don't agree with. And so um, the difference comes to some degree in, in the nature of the defiance. Is it simply a refusal to go along, a refusal to put into action things that the federal government wants? Um, that's, you know, what we would usually consider uncooperative and, and states or, or state officials taking a stance on behalf of their constituents. Um, or is it outright defiance? Is it refusing to do things that are ordered of them rather than refusing to assist something that would aid the federal government? And so that's kind of part of the distinction and, and, and where we see Abbott right now um, on one side of the line, but certainly tiptoeing up to the line and peering over it. There's been a lot of discussion and the the phrasing thrown around that democracy is in the balance here or it is in jeopardy uh, leading up to this next election. Is something like this, how much is that? Um, how, clearly, it's fueling the language, but how much is it fueling the reality of that? Well, I, I mean, I think the immigration, we could separate out the immigration issues on the one hand from the kind of constitutional crisis, constitutional defiance issues on the other hand. Um, the immigration issues, uh, you know, affect it to the degree that they influence people's sense of what the country stands for, what the rule of law means, what our values are, whether they're uh, about security or about equality, whether they're about securing the border or providing humanitarian aid. So there's a sense that when we talk about these kind of high-level political values, things that are often fundamental and non-negotiable to people, the more we talk about them in stark, polarizing terms, the more difficult it becomes to um, imagine whoever loses an election conceding to whomever wins, right? When we talk in the language of invasion, um, it's inflammatory and it gets people on both sides um, rather agitated and looking at the opponent or looking at the other side, not as a difference of opinion, but as an enemy or as an opponent. So there's, there's the kind of immigration dimension to it. And then there's the, the constitutional defiance uh, or resistance dimension to it. And I think the part of the concern about, you know, the death of democracy or the, the struggling culture of democracy in America, and we can take this obviously back to the 2020 election, is about the degree to which the losers agree to yield power to the winners, right? That democracy requires that those who lose the election stand down and accept the results of the election. And there are plenty of places in the world in which losing parties or losing candidates don't do that. And those are often places with very troubled democratic histories or very limited democratic pedigree. And so to the extent that this taps into that, this, that the idea of a political actor not getting the response that he wants from the Supreme Court saying, fine, I don't have to listen to the Supreme Court. And the idea that 23, 24, whatever it was, Republican governors, every every Republican governor, I believe, but, but Phil Scott of Vermont signed on to this idea and pushed the idea that the state has to defend itself against the federal government leads to the idea that there is a kind of undercurrent of defiance among states that do not accept 
that we have a legitimate national government or a legitimately elected president or um, that authority that is exercised by Biden or the Biden administration should be binding on them, their constituents, their borders. So they kind of I don't know that they're directly feeding into it, but they're kind of running hand in hand, part and parcel of this idea that in a democracy, in a rule of law, when you lose either a case or an election, you accept the results of that. doesn't mean you can't try to run again. It doesn't mean you can't try to change the policy, but that you have to act according to the rule of law. And I think that's what scares some people about the Texas border dispute right now. Justin Crow, appreciate the information and the analysis. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. That is Justin Crow, chair, uh, chair of leadership studies and professor of political science at Williams College. Guess what, Amy? Hmm. Ticket time, baby. It is ticket time. Train tickets. Well, tickets for the band train and REO Speedwagon. It's a twofer. You get to see two bands. I don't know how you're going to get there. You could take the train, but those are completely separate tickets. No, yeah. Do not confuse this with transportation. Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, July 16th. It is train and REO Speedwagon, and you have a chance to win right now. By calling the contest line 314-955-1120, be caller number 6. 314-955-1120. It's the Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. Good luck. Guess who's the big winner today, Amy? Steven. Steven, where's where's he from? He is from Broken Heart, Crevecore. Wow. Isn't that what that means? Crevecore, Broken Heart, Crevecore. Is it? I think it is. That's why their city symbol is a heart that's I've got never seen the broken, city symbol of It's a broken core. heart. Well, Oh, Steven, you need to get out more. Can, I am out. I used to work out there. Yeah. How have you never seen? You did. Where you would were, I see the, it's the symbol? It's everywhere. Street signs, city yeah, it's signs. It's on the, the uh, 270 bridge on Olive. I didn't know that yep. was why. I didn't know Creve Corpsman broke I heart. Guess I, I, just, I, I, I never noticed it, I, I guess. I just thought it was part of the symbol. Yeah. Well, that's news to me. So uh, broken Steven. hearts is it? Is it like a cracked heart yeah. down the middle? Yeah, really? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I think so, it's a sad story. What happened? I think didn't a girl like a, the the dad the founder a daughter died or something? I don't no. know. Well, I don't want to speculate. We're on KMOX. That's not very adorable. So uh, Stephen and Creve Core gonna go see Train and yeah. REO Speedwagon. We should have been guessing which band does he want to see more. Oh, because REO Speedwagon. I bet probably it's got to be REO. What, That's what percentage of the we, we had five winners this yeah. week? What percentage of them do you believe were wanting to see REO over Train? I bet ninety nine percent. Oh, that's not even wanted impossible. to see that's REO Speedwagon over Train. We only had five. It would have to be twenty forty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what if Stephen? Stephen, you can text. You have t- no time. Hey, guess what we're doing next what? week? Barry Manilow. We're tickets. allowed to say that. Well, yeah. The you show's know, been announced. I. It took me forever. Anyway, I thought my grandma loved Barry Manilow. Yep. But she actually loved Johnny Mathis. He's going to be at Enterprise Center July 25th. Those are two very different people. Johnny Mathis doesn't do it for me. Barry Manilow, Copacabana. Dave Glover's show is coming up next. Everything you missed on the Odyssey app. It's the Chris and Amy show back with you 10 a.m. on Monday on KMOX. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.